Well, this year, like we do every year, one of the first Sundays of the year, we commit ourselves to go back to the foundations, to go back and revisit, namely, what we stand for. What are the core values of Grace Fellowship? And these things provide a frame for, framework for what we will champion around here and test, actually, what we're going to do, what we're not going to do. And I also know that for those of you who've been around here for a while, there is either literally or figuratively in your mind this collective groan when we come to the big Grok's message because you go, I've heard this, I know this. But frankly, today is different. We've had 19 Big Rock's messages. Pastor Brad has delivered all of them. And here we are on the 20th, and our lead pastor has commissioned the, ca- the campus pastors, myself, Brian Fannin, who is the campus pastor here, and, of course, Pastor Peter from Fort Thomas, our campus pastor there, to come and to cast again this vision about what are our foundations, what are we really all about? But there is also something different today besides that. Today, you get a brand new rock. And for some of you, before you go screaming from the room, yes, a rock has been not only, it's not been added, it has replaced a rock. And we're really excited to tell you about it today. And we have a whole bunch of new people. More than 300 new people between the two campuses. And so this literally may be your first time hearing this message. And for some of you, it's been many times you've heard this message. And we're excited for you to know these things that we hold dear. Because they have directed our church. And for those of us who have gotten up close to them personally, they've changed us personally. So without further ado, let's just jump in. We are a church, one of our big rocks, we're a church that we say we are a grace-based church. We are grace-based in all that we do. It's not just in our name, and I'm so glad that it is in our name, but it's a part of the very fabric of who we are. We're a grace-based church, and for us, this actually means that we understand that rule falling will not make us right with God. We believe that God has met us right where we are. And God will meet you right where you are with your bumps, with your bruises, with your heartaches, with your scars, with all your failures. And he accepts us as we are, but his love is so great to never leave us as we are. God's grace and the way we treat it is his unmerited favor. And people who come to this church, I meet them all the time. They actually believe that that this is a church. We've got it all together, that we're a religious bunch. Some may even believe that we're a self-righteous bunch. But if you think that, you would be so wrong. This church is full of people just like you who did not find God But God loved them and came for them, and he came with grace. They know it is by grace that life changed them, and it changed them through faith as proclaimed in God's word. 
And frankly, we talk about being a grace-based church, and we want to remind you, we don't want to ever get over this, folks. You can't ever get over this. God's grace brings love, and grace transforms us. And it transforms us today, and it will transform us through the years. We need to be changing. We need to be growing. Grace provides for both of those things. And we don't all look alike. And by God's goodness, thank him, we do not all exactly act alike or think alike. But what we've experienced by the mercy of God is his grace that brings hope for new life in Jesus Christ. Peter? And that grace is something that we never want to graduate from. We never want to, we never want to move beyond. We never want to forget that grace truly is amazing. Right? That's not just a song lyric. That's not just a, a, a hymn title. Grace, the grace of God is truly amazing that God would bestow upon us his favor, his mercy, and the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And the way that we do that is by being grace-based and being Bible-based. Because it's the Bible, it's the word of God that reminds us that uh, we are who we are and he is who he is. And the grace that has been given to us is something that we could have never earned or merited on our own. And it's God's word that reminds us of that. Uh, we think of verses like, like John 1 and verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth full of grace and truth. So if we are grace-based but not truth-based, we've succeeded in being like not like Jesus. Right? If we are truth-based but not grace-based, we've just succeeded in being not like Jesus. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is full, not 50-50, 100% grace, 100% truth. And that's what we seek to mimic. That's what we seek to be as people of God who want to change to be more like Jesus Christ. So therefore, our teaching comes from the Word of God and only the Word of God. If it's not in the Word of God, it's not going to find its way into our pulpits. The topics, and the topics that we choose to preach from are rooted in God's holy word, and we bring out principles and draw out truth from God's word to feed you, to feed our souls that we might grow and change to become more like Christ. And if it's not in God's word, it's not going to be in our pulpits. And we have no reason to look outside of God's word. 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and following, all scripture is and the Greek word is theopneustos. It's a, it's a Greek word that Paul coined. It means God breathed. God wants us to picture every word having come out of his holy mouth. As we read the text of scripture, we need to remember that all scripture is God breathed and is profitable for everything that we could ever want. For teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete. That word complete, that Greek word, is only found there throughout the whole New Testament, referring to none other than God's holy word, that we might be equipped unto every good work. And that leads us to our next big rock, because we are, we are grace-based and Bible-based, and that drives us to be God-focused in our worship. Because we are so moved by the truths that we see in God's holy word, we want to ascribe all our praise, all our worship, when it comes to singing and praising the Lord, to him. 
We want to be more than just positive and encouraging, right? Now, that's, that, and that's not a shot of Caleb. That's a little bit of a shot of Caleb. But, but, but it's, it's not, no judgment, that's fine. We just want more than that in our worship services because God hasn't called us to be a radio station. He's called us to be a church. So we're going to be God-focused. We're going to let the word of God, the grace of God, focus us on our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as we sing praises that are due his name. Psalm 150, verses 1 and following. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. I'm emphasizing a word. Are you picking up on that? Praise him. The praise needs to go to him and him alone. We might feel good. It might feel positive and encouraging as well it should be. That's a byproduct, not a goal. That's a byproduct of us looking to the Lord and praising him. It should feel good for the people of God to do that. As we praise him with our voices, as we praise him with instruments, as we praise him together collectively as the people of God in our church family. We're a church... that believes that without God, we really have and really are nothing. Now, that's not to say that we can't drum up programs. Yeah, we can organize, we can deploy all kinds of talent, and there is a bunch of talent in this room. Nice things can become evident, but when God's people pray, when we understand that we're actually needy, when we actually come to grips that we are weak and that all the effort in the world and of our own flesh will only make for exhaustion, exhausted religious people, then we, what happens is this. When we hold dear that we are a praying church, we will go to God with desperate, heartfelt praying. We'll call to Him. We'll call to Him to open heaven for Him to pour out on us His power and His grace to change us, to help us, and to do with us what we cannot do on our own. Why do we pray? Why do we do this? Because we're needy, and ministry does not really work without it. Why do we pray? Because because God, He loves us, and He answers us when we call to Him. The book of Hebrews tells us, To come boldly. The book of Hebrews tells us to come to the throne of grace with bold declaration. To come as his children. How radical is it that when Jesus said, when he taught us to pray, to call God Father. To come needy. To come messy. To come as we are. And I want to be a part of a church And I dare say that we want to be a part of a church that we experience what only God can do when we call to him. Not a program, but a bold praying body. Desperate praying, needy praying, heartfelt praying for people that we love to come to know the truth. For people that we care about, for their marriages to be healed, for addictions to be broken for humility and for hope to take root 
in all of our lives. How do we do that as a church? We pray. Not that we're asking God to change his mind, but for God to change us. And for us to get in on what only God can do. To grow us intimately in our relationship with him. And for us to know him, that he is a God that loves us and answers us when we call to him. Yes, we're a praying church. And we're learning how to pray. And because of that, we do not exist just to go through the motions. Because I will tell you, without a praying body, that's what we do. We just go through the motions. May we never be that. And if you're a person that sits here and you go, well, Brian, I I would love to pray. I'd love to learn how to pray. We will teach you. Contact Dave Learns. we got a class coming up that will teach you. Prayer Boot Camp 101, teach you about praying. We hold it dear, and I am convinced our future, what the Lord is going to do, is going to be bathed with God's people praying. Also, we're a church that understands that we grow best in significant Christian relationships. We've talked about it for years. Small group, small group, small group. You ought to go, and if you haven't gone, and you've been here for years and years, I'm not telling you that you're bad. I am telling you that you're stubborn. We understand that people grow best up close to one another. Not looking across the back of one another's heads on Sunday morning, but in relationship with other people. That's why we have placed this as a big rock. And I want to appeal to you warmly. If you've never done it, there's no better time than right now to consider getting in one. We have 50 plus. You can get in one. It will change your life. drinking water (laughs) that was so smooth we are also very excited about the sovereignty of God we talk about that a lot at Grace Fellowship Church and it's not just a hobby horse it's because we are Bible based and we see that from God's word we know that our God limits he has a lock on all things he limits orders controls and knows all things Nothing happens as a surprise to God. Nothing has ever occurred to him. He doesn't look down at our messy world or maybe a personal mess that you're in. He's not caught by surprise like we are. We know that our God is in the heavens and he does whatever he pleases, Psalm 115 and verse 3. We read things like 1 Chronicles 29, 11 and 12. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. We acknowledge the sovereignty of God in all things because we know that God has control of all things. We don't uh, see something happening in our life or see something happening in the world and then go and like check our spiritual score center app to see if God is winning or not. 
God reigns. Our God reigns. Even when it seems like things are not well, we don't think, ooh, is he gonna, is he gonna come back for the knockout punch? Is he gonna, will he make it up? Anybody remember the Carmen video, right? No? Will, will, will he make it? Will he, he's alive? Like, we, we know he's going to make it. We know he's gonna win. We know that he is going to rule and reign over all things because he is sovereign. Let me read to you from the book of Isaiah, verse, uh, chapter 45. Here's what God says in verse 5. I am the Lord and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. Now listen, verse 7. I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. And when the calamities of life come rolling our way, we know that they didn't just happen and that the Lord is on it and we don't know what God is doing. We don't know how it will end up, but we can rest assured that God is in control and that it will end for his glory and for our good. And you know what? The sovereignty of God and the goodness of God drives us to our next big rock, and that is that we are missions-minded. And you say, why would God, if God is in control of all things, if it's all up to him, if he does all the things in this world, why are we missions-minded? Why send people? Why make an effort? Let's just kick back and let God do his thing. Well, because our God is sovereign over the end and the means, and we read things in the, like, like Acts 1.8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me, this is Jesus talking, to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The sovereignty of God does not diminish our desire for missions one iota. The sovereignty of God actually, for me personally, propels me to want to do those things because I know that it's not solely up to me and my eloquent presentation and what if the person doesn't believe and, and it's all up to me. It's actually not. It's up to me to plant seeds. I can handle this. I don't know much about farming, but this I think I can handle. I could probably mess this up too, to be honest with you, but I can handle this knowing that God is going to cause the increase. I plant the seed, you plant the seed, God is the one who gives life. God is the one who causes increase. God is the one who regenerates people. And so we are excited to be missions-minded right here in our church family, outside of our church walls, and way out in the uttermost parts of the earth. I like to say here, there, and way over there. We're a missions-minded church because that's what we see from the word of God, and we're excited about the grace that has been extended to us, and we want to see it extended to others. To Philippians chapter 2. We have a new big rock. And Philippians chapter 2 forms a framework for us to look at it today. But it's not the only place in the New Testament. In fact, the New Testament is replete with this theme. Book of Philippians 
is casual. The book of Philippians is conversational. But when you get to chapter 2 and verse 5, this particular passage may be the most countercultural chapter in the Bible. Especially if you sit here and you aspire that upwardly mobile is the only way to go. It's a place where the Bible actually here moves off this casual and conversational tone to a place of polish, of specific, deep theological language compared to the rest of the book of Philippians. It contains directions for believers, for you, for me. And that direction is instructive, and here it is. If you want to be great because Jesus is the standard, the direction you must go is down. Philippians 2, look at verse 5 with me. Paul says, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is the standard. And greatness is not some kind of ladder that we aspire to climb corporately, but it actually is a descent into service. And for many of us, that makes no sense at all. But when we look at Jesus, he never ceased to descend, and he never ceased to serve. Very quickly, look with me at verse 6. Although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. This is language that is probably better understood like this. He was God before he showed up in human form. And he, even though he was God, he did not use it to his advantage, but in obedience to the Father, stepped down, moved lower for who? For us. And may we be gripped by it. He did not exploit his status to serve himself. He humbled himself to become a man and one that serves. And he served in complete obedience even to death. He never ceased to move downward. In a few verses, Paul gives us the summation of Christology. What Jesus was like what his mind was, who he was, and what he actually did. And we celebrate it, but it actually we know it's a hard sell for ourselves. Even the most talented marketing firm in New York City would have a difficult time pitching this. I can just see it in a boardroom. All right, here we go. Imagine the possibilities. Be downwardly mobile. We just don't get that. 
But this is exactly the life that Jesus exemplified and the one that he calls you to. Up in God's dictionary always leads down. On the last night of Jesus' life, Jesus gathered his disciples for one last time. They observed the Lord's Supper. If you know the story, they make their way to this upper room and to this house and stationed at the door of every house was a, a, a slave whose task was to scrub the feet of those who were to go into the house. But guess what? They arrive at the house and all the disciples are debating. And if you know the story, they're debating about in the next life, who is going to be the greatest in the kingdom? They're most concerned about their own personal status. No slave, and in they go. And after supper, Jesus gets up, puts a towel about him, and begins to scrub the feet. And Peter is a lot like us. Remember Peter, the one who first understood that this is the Christ. In that moment, Peter looks at Jesus and says, there is no way you are not going to do this. You've got it wrong, Jesus. This is not the way it's going to fall out. And Jesus said, Peter, if you don't get this, you don't get me. And I think many of us don't get it. If you truly want to experience greatness, we must move lower. We must be servants. And this big new rock called serving is replete with experience. Here in this church, we know those, the the stories of people who have made significant sacrifices financially, in time and convenience, in messiness, as they've changed diapers in the back and they've taught class and they've caught colds and, and, and they, they caught the flu from the little germ factories that are right back there. They've led small groups, they've hosted small groups, they've ushered, they've served the Lord's table here. It has been sacrificial. It's been done in love. It's been done in the name of Christ And the people who have done it have found that they've lost some of their comfort, but they have found life. We have loved here being equipped to do real ministry. That has been our big rock, number four. But today we are moving to serve. That we we would move beyond just understanding we want to know all that we can to live a victorious Christian life. But the call to serve, the call to serve, is to each one of us. It's one that we should all hear. But some of us, although we would never verbally say this, this is actually what rattles around in our skull. I've done my time. I've already done that. I'm too busy. Or one day, when I get these other things taken care of, I get those projects at work done, I'll, I'll, I'll volunteer then. You've been a part of Grace Fellowship for years and you love it here. You've seen that you, you, you would say that you've grown. You call this your home. But I can be honest with you. You don't serve. 
You're invested in what you can gain. But you're not thinking about what you're called to give. You're not investing yourself. This big rock is a call for you and for me for us to change. We will never be more like Jesus than when we serve. You will find your life by losing your life. And I know that some of you may be hearing, oh, Brian, are you saying that we should get out if we're not going to serve? That is not what I'm saying. I'm not saying get out. Actually, what I'm saying is this is a call for you to come in. To come in and invest in serving our Lord with the gifts that he has given you. You're called to be a servant of the king. For you to be more than for you. Descend into greatness and let us see what only God can do with our lives if we give them away. And we're going to equip you. And one of the things that we're most excited about that we're planning intently for is what's going to happen this fall. For those of you who sit here and say, I I would like to serve, but I just don't know how. I don't have those gifts. This fall, we're going to equip you in, in what we're called serve you. Guys, can I have that slide, please? This fall in September, we're going to host an equipping event where you can be trained to do a variety of things, of all kinds of things that God has equipped you with that you don't know that you can do. We'll equip you to do it. Now, I want you, in my closing, I want you to see this. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. As we looked at this polished theological treatise that Paul has in just a few verses, I hope you caught what Paul said right at the beginning. Verse 5, Paul said this. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Paul was not suggesting something. This have this language is actually an imperative construction in the grief, in the Greek. It basically means, Paul's saying, your mind should be like Jesus' mind. And what was Jesus' mind like? The mind of a servant. And it's imperative, it's not a suggestion. We are called to serve one another. Turn, if you would, please, to Romans chapter 12. Romans 12, beginning in verse 3. The Word of God says this, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, Not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. But to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Look at that verse. We're told what not to do. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. 
Okay, so what should we do? Well, it says to think with sober judgment. Well, it's kind of nebulous, right? How do I, I'm not supposed to think of myself more highly than I ought to think. I am supposed to think of myself with sober judgment, but then Paul does give us a measuring stick. Each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So I should think of myself according to the measure of faith that God has assigned to me. So, elsewhere, Paul wrote another letter to the church at Ephesus, and he says that we're saved by grace through faith, and that it's not of ourselves, it is a gift. We're not saved by works, lest any man should boast. So, the faith that I have, the measure of faith that Paul is talking about here, that was assigned to me, comes from God. So it's like, okay, here's what we do. Say, okay, so the, the faith that you have, uh, how much of that faith did God give you? How much of that did you bring to the table? You say, oh, it all came from God. Oh, wow. All right, well, you think of yourself uh, accordingly. All right, and you, the faith that you have, how much of that came from all of it too? Okay, well, think of yourself accordingly. And you, you're, you've been a Christian for a really long time, really long time. How much of the faith that you have came from God? Surely over the years you've mustered up, no? It's all, all from God. Okay, well, what about, I think there's a pattern, right? There's a pattern that all of us, regardless of whether we're young or old, saved minutes ago, saved many decades ago, we look at the faith that has been assigned to us and realize, oh, Paul has leveled the playing field. We have all received the faith that we have as a gift. We haven't mustered it up in ourselves, so we need to think of ourselves according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. And we think, okay, what's that measure? How much of, oh, all of it. God has given me all the faith that I have. Praise his name. And that's what stops us from thinking highly of ourselves and remembering, oh, I'm just a recipient of the gift of faith. God has graciously gifted me the faith that I have. The playing field is leveled. Verse 4. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So it's interesting what Paul's doing. He first says, okay, let's level the playing field. We've all been saved by grace. All the faith that we have has been given to us by God. We shouldn't think of ourselves more highly than someone else because we realize that everything that we have, every good and perfect gift comes from above. All the grace that we have, the faith that we have comes from God. Then he switches gears a little and says, but here's where we're different. Function. Here's where we're different. We're part of the same body, but we're different, we're different parts. We have different functions. We have, we're, we're one body in Christ, but we have different Different gifts, different functions. Verse six, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. So again, these gifts are also just given to us. Let us use them. Let us use them. So remember the faith that has been given to you freely from God. And remember that we're all on the same level playing field. But then remember that we're all different, gifted differently with different talents and skills and abilities and different opportunities that might be yours but may not be mine, but we're all part of the same body. And then in verse 6, Romans 12, verse 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us 
use them. Paul goes on to list, certainly not exhaustively, but some of the gifts. Uh, If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. The one who teaches in his teaching. The one who exhorts in his exhortation. The one who contributes in generosity. The one who leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. If you're new to our church, you need to understand that you are coming to Grace Fellowship Church at a really awesome time. This is a really great time for our church. God has blessed us tremendously in many, many different ways. Before you heard Pastor Brian mention that we have over 300 new people across both of our campuses at Florence and Fort Thomas, that's a huge blessing. Uh, The Lord is blessing us with a growing and busting children's ministry and student ministry at both campuses. That's a huge blessing. Perhaps you've heard, but if you haven't, I'll make sure that you realize this, that we finished off 2017 by doing something really, really cool, and that is making one final payment on the mortgage. And now Grace Fellowship Church, do the math, owes nothing to anyone Praise the Lord. It's an exciting time. It's an exciting time. It's a great thing to be debt-free. No doubt debt was a tool that God allowed us to use. It's great to not need that tool right now. It's a wonderful time to be part of Grace Fellowship Church. There's a buzz. There's an energy. God is doing things. I sense it. I hope that you sense it. This is a great time. I can't help but wonder if we've peaked. Sarah and I host a, uh, we, I don't remember for how many years, we, but for several years we've hosted a little gathering of some friends that come over sometime between Christmas and New Year's. So I don't know about you, but if there's a certain party hosting, something, something that you, you do on a regular basis, you can kind of compare them. Like, oh, was this year's good? Was it good last year? Was it, you know, I, I mean, maybe you do that. We do that. And uh, Sarah said recently, she says, I don't know. She's like, I, th- I think we've peaked. I was like, babe, what do you mean? She's like, I don't think it could, like, it just, the things just came together. The food was ready. And the people were great. No one seemed to feel excluded. And it just went really well. I think, I think we may have peaked. I'm like, yeah, wow, Merry Christmas, babe. <laughs> Thanks. Happy New Year. I wonder if we've peaked as a church. No doubt the greatest historical narrative of the first century church is in nowhere else other than your Bible. It's the Acts of the Apostles. 28 chapters made up of what I would argue to be an account of three people or people groups. Uh, The main character, in my opinion, throughout the book of Acts is the Word of God. I'm not saying the Holy Spirit isn't in there. It's totally in there. We'll talk about him in a moment. But the word of God is unstoppable. As you read through Acts, you can see this person did that. They believe the word. Boom, this life was changed. This person did that. They believe the word. Boom, thousands were, were saved. The word of God is unstoppable. You read that and you realize that they killed the prophets, but they can't kill the word. And they legislate against the gospel, but the gospel bows to no earthly ruler. The word of God is unstoppable. But the Holy Spirit... He, not it, he, 
moved among the people of God to cause the word to take root, to, to grow, and to spread like wildfire, literally changing the landscape as, as, as we know it, literally changing the world. Not, not oh, that's, that's fun hyperbole from a, a hyperactive preacher. No, literally changing lives and changing the landscape of history as we would know it. The word of God, the Holy Spirit, and what I'm calling pioneers for the gospel. People who had a pioneering spirit and who, Romans 12, verse 6, decided to use the gifts that God had given them for the sake of the gospel. People who weren't satisfied with the status quo. People who had a vision of something more than their immediate world and ways. People who would take initiative. People who would act in ways way contrary to conventional wisdom for the sake of the gospel. People who would take risks. People whose citizenship was in a place they'd never been to but only heard about and believed that the reward when they got there would be better than anything they could have ever merited here. People who refuse to reach a peak in this life. Trusting that the peak was yet to come. These are great times for Grace Fellowship Church. As long as we don't lose our pioneering spirit. If we do... 2018 will have been the year that we peaked. And you only go back or down from the peak. If we allow the status quo to be the high watermark, it'll feel good and, and, and we'll be grateful as we should be. We'll cheer as I knew we would. We'll celebrate. But it won't get any, this will be it. A debt-free church with two campuses and 50-some-odd small groups. It's not a bad thing. But is that, do we want to look back on 2018 as the good old days? I believe the best is yet to come. I believe the best is yet to come. And I don't want to go down from where we are today. And that's the danger we face as a church that's been really, really blessed in a number of ways that this would be the peak. We always tell people to join small groups. And they should. And you should if you haven't. What if they listen and the small groups are full? What if no one is willing to take on the responsibility of another small group so that one could birth and we could have two small groups so that the small groups don't just turn to groups, right? Losing the small. Like, what if, what if, what if the small group, like, there's no one, everyone in the group just assume, someone will do it. It's not me, but someone's going someone's gonna to do it, but no one, no one says, I'll do that. No one says, I'll host. No one says, I'll organize childcare. No, one, no one's going to bear that burden. What if we've peaked? Maybe, maybe this is it. We have two campuses. Do you know that we want to start a third? Do you want to start a third? Yeah. I preach as well. 
What if, what if no one goes? Like that takes a lot of like, it's, it's something to be excited about, to start another campus, to reach more people, to grow small, as I like to say, to make room for more people at, at, at our current existing campuses at Florence and Fort Thomas, and then to start another work elsewhere. What if, what if no one goes? What if no one wants to take on those, those, the burdens of what it's like to, to, to do that in the beginning? What if we've peaked? Do you know that we want to send a group of people to an unreached people group to preach this gospel of grace, to spread the word of God because we're missions-minded? But that takes a lot of sacrifice. And again, it preaches well. This is the exciting stuff to preach. What if no one goes? What if we can't backfill the people who do go because no one will stand up? What if we, do you, do you see? What if we've peaked? Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. These are really exciting days for our church, but let's hope and pray that these are not the most exciting Let's hope and pray that this is not the high watermark. And let's realize that the best is yet to come, that there's people who need to hear, that there's ministry that needs to be done, and that it's not going to ever get done if you and I don't do something about that. The things that I'm mentioning require people to use the gifts that are given to them. Let me say this nicely and unapologetically. Check writing won't get it done. That's part of it. That's an important part of it. But what if we raise all the money that we need for PG6, but people won't go? What if we, what if we have all the money we need to do a build-out at a new place for a new campus, but, we, but no, no, I'm not going to set up. I did that. I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I'm not gonna. Giving is part of it, but it comes, to, it comes to resource and support the pioneering spirit of God's people who care enough about the gospel and enough about reaching other people and enough about watching God's word continue to be unstoppable to go. And that's why we're excited about making serving one of our big rocks. We want to be known as a people who, yes, give, who, yes, pray, but also who serve to the glory of God according to the gifts that God has given us. We want to use them. Let's not peak. Let's not peak. Let's not chill. Let's not, let's not get comfy. Let's keep going. Let's keep climbing. Let's keep taking ground for the glory of God. Let's press on. Let's persevere. Let's pioneer for our great God as we seek to take new ground for as long as the Lord would give us. And I stand here today and look to you and say, what about you? Yes, you. What would God call you to do in the days ahead to enable his word to continue to run forth? Are you the means by which God would 
would, 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 would use to reach that end? And the answer is yes, just what does that means look like? He's going to use the body of Christ. He's going to use his church. He's going, to, he's going to reach new people. What part do you play in that? Don't peek. Don't peek. I think it was 25 years ago that a small group of people first said, let's do this Grace Fellowship Church thing in northern Kentucky. And they met in a conference room in an office building and didn't peek. And met in homes and didn't peek. And then met in a school and decided to call a senior pastor and, 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 and raised up enough funds to be able to support that and didn't peak and hit trial and tribulation as schools were available and then schools weren't available. And then school is available, but we just, they are, it isn't available. And moved from school to school to school and broke ground on land and decided to build a building and didn't peak. And then moved into a building and within weeks, weeks had to go to two services, but didn't peak. And then not long after that, uh, the staff grew because the needs of the body grew, but the didn't peak. And then went to three services and now two campuses. Will we peak? I hope that the answer is no. I hope that, that where we are right now in 2018 will be part of a sermon in, in some future time where I just mentioned it. And then in 2018, they became debt-free and didn't peak. And I don't know what will follow that. Like, I don't, I don't know. But I'm excited about it, and I hope you're along for the ride. Not ride, that's sitting. For the run, the fight, the thing, the things, do the things. Because I think the best is yet to come, and there's work to be done. And hell is hot, and people matter, and the gospel is true. And God is good. Gracious and merciful, saving to the uttermost, and people need to hear that. 1 Peter 4 says this in verses 7 and following. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled, sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace, God's multicolored grace. However God has graced each and every one of us, let's use it as good stewards of the time and the talents and the gifts and the skills and the abilities that he's given each and every one of his people. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength God supplies, so it all goes back to the Lord. He gets the glory. He gets the credit in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Father in heaven, we are excited to be counted among your people. Lord, we're excited as we look at the grace that has been given to us and realize it all comes from you. Every good and perfect gift comes from you. Lord, we would have nothing if it weren't for you. You are so kind and so gracious. 
Lord, would you help us be good stewards with the grace that you've entrusted to us? Would you, would you help us respond back to you according to the measure of faith that you've given to us, which is all of it? And show us, Lord, what you have for us as a church in the days, weeks, and months, and years ahead, should you tarry, that we might be pleasing to you, reaching people for your name, serving you all the days that we have breath. Lead on, O King Eternal, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.